Well, what if I told you that for many of us, today will be the end of the world as we know it? I actually believe that after this message, for some of us, that will be the case. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. I promise I am not a doomsdayer or an extremist. If you hang with me, I think you'll uh, maybe understand where I'm coming from and maybe even agree with my perspective by, by the end of the day. For everyone who's here today, whether you're joining us right here in the auditorium or the many who join us on a video screen somewhere or sometime later online, thank you so much for for choosing to be with us today. This is week number one in a sermon series uh, that I am super excited about, week one of a four-week series that I'll be preaching called The End of the World as We Know It. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to be interested in the end of the world. In fact, if you are here today uh, and you would not call yourself a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad that you are here. There is nowhere else I'd rather you be than, than right here. And I know that you might be here and you're thinking, did I really come on the week they're talking about the end of the world? I picked that one Sunday, like this is going to be so weird. The Christians are weird about this. And listen, I, I understand, I'm, I'm the first one to acknowledge that there are some very weird things in the Bible, right, concerning the end of the world. It does get pretty weird when you read that. And there are some Christians who are flat out weird and extreme and overdramatic when it comes to their view, their opinion, even their predictions on the end of the world. So I get it if that's how you're feeling. Hopefully I will ease your fears throughout the day and the series. The reality is though, throughout the years, even all the way back to ancient cultures, people in general have been obsessed with the end of the world, right? And that hasn't really changed today. Like I did a quick Google search on the phrase end of the world and there are 2.36 billion results on Google for the end of the world. There are 30,000 book results on Amazon when you search end of the world on, on Amazon. And people have even missed, made and missed predictions uh, on countless times on the end of the world. Thousands of people latched on to the Mayan calendar theory that the end of the world would be on December 21st, 2012. Do not raise your hand if you're a part of these people, by the way. Uh, just, just recently, the harbinger uh, led to a belief that the end of the world would be on or at least begin on September 23rd, 2007. Even some Christians have got into the mix and made and missed predictions on the end of the world. If you're old like me, you might remember uh, back in 1988, Edward, uh, Edgar Wisenhant wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Come Back in 1988. He missed it, by the way. But he then wrote another book in 1989 called 89 Reasons Why Christ Will Come Back in 1989. He took a few years off because he missed it again, and then he wrote 93 Reasons, then 94, 95, 96, and 97, until he finally stopped making predictions. His first book sold 4.5 million copies. I'm in the wrong writing business, by the way. 
I should write a book on, you know, 18 reasons why Christ is coming back in 2018. I don't know. I'll you know, make a lot more money doing that. My, my opinion, by the way, my opinion is why would you even try and predict the end of the world? Because if you're right, you can't even gloat about it. No one is left to say, I told you so. So why would you even make a, a prediction? Here's the thing. I think it's great. It is great to have an interest in the return of Christ and in times theology. It's even okay to write books on the end and on the return of Christ or articles on it. My grandpa, by the way, my mom's dad is 97 years old. He has been studying and teaching on the end times, revelation, and the return of Christ for longer than I have been alive. He has very strong opinions about end times theology, and that's okay as well. It's okay to be very passionate about your view of the end times uh, because we're not going to agree on everything. We're not going to agree on all, on all of of the details. My grandpa even wrote several books on the subject. Uh, we have some of his books for sale in the Element store right now. So uh, you can get three of the books he's written over the course of decades, three of them in a bundle for $12. Uh, these books do focus a lot more on the book of Revelation in the Bible and kind of trying to unpack the puzzle of what that means. We're not going to dive into Revelation a ton in this uh, series here, uh, but he does dive into that uh, the Revelation. So if you are interested in learning more about end times theology, Revelation, the return of Christ, you can pick up a pack of my grandpa's books for $12, which I think is a, is a great, great deal, and he would love for you to, to learn from him. Keep in mind, those books are written from his perspective and understanding of the end times. I personally would align pretty straight with my grandpa's theology. I've learned uh, so much from him on end times theology, and you should also understand, if you pick up these books, that my grandpa's, my theology of end times is in the minority in Christian circles. So we are in the minority of what most Christians would believe about end times and the return of Christ. So with that said, let me tell you what we are going to do in the series, okay? Here's what we are going to do. We are going to avoid making predictions, okay? No predictions here in this sermon series. In fact, when Jesus was asked about the end of the world and his return, he actually said that no one knows when that will happen, not even himself. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says this about the end. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things, the end of the world, his return will happen. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son himself, only the father knows. So we're not making predictions because I don't know and neither do you when all of this will happen. Second thing is we are going to remain clear-headed and calm. Can I get an amen there? Clear-headed and calm. The Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6 in the New Testament says this to those of us who believe, but you aren't in the dark about these things, talking about the end of the world, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord, that's the return of Christ, comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your, card, on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. The New International Version says, stay alert and self-controlled. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be clear-headed and calm in the series. Lastly, we will look at what Jesus said first. Okay, He's the one coming back, not you. So if he's the one coming back, I want to know what he said about it. Can I get an amen? What did Jesus say about it? Did you know even the disciples asked the same questions we, were, we are asking right now? 
This, this goes all the way back to the disciples. They asked Jesus about the end, about his return. Jesus answered their question. We see Jesus' answer. So this is nothing new, uh, wondering about the end of the world. In fact, Matthew 24, 1 through 3 says this. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? Talking about the destruction of all the buildings. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Notice the disciples asked Jesus three different questions. So we have to assume in his answer in, in the following response, we'll get to in a second, that Jesus is answering all three of those questions. Now, the hard part is determining what part of his answer is answering what question, but it's not impossible to decipher that. In fact, we'll see today, part of his answer is really, really clear. Jesus, in Mark chapter 13, so Mark, uh, the gospel of Mark, writes a parallel account of this same conversation. At the end of the conversation, Mark records Jesus saying this, Mark 13, 23, watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time, or again, in the New International Version, I have told you what? Everything ahead of time. Jesus said, I've told you everything about the end and my return. I told you everything ahead of time. Now, Jesus may not give us all the details about the end, all the details about him. He may not give us everything we want to know, but he does give us a really clear design about the end and about his return. He gives us everything we need to know. He tells us what to watch for. That's why he says, watch out. I have told you everything. Ahead of, I've warned you about this ahead of time. So here's the big idea for today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. It's this. Knowing when the end will come is not as important as knowing what to look for. Knowing when the end will come is not as important as knowing what to look for. We all want to know when. He didn't tell us that. He just says it's coming, so here's what to look for to know it's getting closer. We, we may not know the day or the hour of Christ's return. We may not know the day or the hour of the end, but I do think we can know the times and seasons. We can know it's getting close, that it is, is approaching. That really is uh, the whole point. The whole uh, point of studying end times theology is uh, the, the goal of studying end times theology is not so we can be right. Lots of Christians want to be right when it comes to end times theology. The goal is not to be right. The goal is to be ready. Hello? to be ready. That if Jesus comes back today, if the end of the world is today, or if I die today, I want to be ready. Not right. I want to be ready before Christ. So knowing when the end will come is not nearly as important as knowing what to look for. So if Jesus gave us signs to look for, here's where we got to start this whole series. Big question is this. What should I look for as the end draws near? What should I look for? What signs kind of signify the end is drawing 
near. The main scripture is Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14. This whole series, we will be in Matthew 24 and then Matthew 25, and we'll go off into some other scriptures as well. But we're going to look at what Jesus said about the end and about his uh, return. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. Uh, Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, is the guy who wrote it. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, I'd love for you to do that. You can use the screens as well. It's all on there. If you came today and you don't own your own Bible, please don't leave without one. We will put one in your hands free of charge. Ask for one at guest services. Before we dive in here, remember in the following verses, Jesus is answering three different questions. Okay? When will all this happen, the destruction of the temple, which has already happened, by the way? What will be the sign of your return and the end of the world? So here we go, Matthew 24, starting in verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. So he's telling them, people will show up saying, I'm back. And claim to be Jesus, but don't let them deceive you. Which, by the way, heads up, next week's message is all about the return of Christ and how we will know he has come back. The sign is clear. It will be impossible to miss the return of Christ. All of next week is about the return of Christ. Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So we know from his words, he's answering the question about the end of the world. Verse 7, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. Knowing when the end will come, it's not as important as knowing what to look for. So what should we look for as the end draws near? Number one is this. Problems will continue. (laughs) Problems will continue. In fact, they'll get worse. They'll get worse. Perhaps the number one question that's asked these days, especially in Christian circles as it pertains to the end of the world, the number one question I hear is this. Are the things happening in the world around us right now a sign that the end is near? Are they signs that the end is near? Well, if you just look at the things Jesus said would happen, they seem to be increasing, right? I mean, just go back a few years, even a few months, and look at what's been happening in in the world. The number of earthquakes, Hurricanes, tsunamis, now volcanoes, hello. Wars, threats of wars, violence, terrorism, famine, disease. Like all these things are increasing around the world. So are the things happening in the world around us a sign that the end is near? You want to know the answer to that question? Yes and no. How's that for a (laughs) cop-out? I mean, these things happening, they don't necessarily mean the end is imminent, but it does mean we should pay attention. They're signs that Jesus gave us that, hey, these things are going to happen, but don't panic. Don't panic. They're going to continue. The end has not yet come. They're the first of birth pains. 
Ladies in the room who've had children, you know that over the nine months of pregnancy, uh, even from the very beginning, you get little birth pains along the way. Well, the first birth pain you get does not mean the child's imminent. It just means there's a child in there and he will eventually come, right? Same thing with this. There's birth pains about the return of Christ, the end of the world. They are just going to continue. So, Can I challenge us on something as a church? I'm going to anyway, but I'm going to ask to be polite. Can I challenge us on something as a church? I I think sometimes, it's it's frustrating to me because I I see this all the time. I think sometimes that our reactions as Christians to problems in life or problems in the world, our reaction oftentimes puts off a signal to those around us that we really don't believe our God's in control. When we panic, what we are saying is we don't trust God's in control. And so I think the way we react to problems we can't control should be a testimony to the trust we have in a God who is in control. I love what this scripture says, by the way, the book of Hebrews, New Testament portion of the Bible. Look what it says about Jesus. This is so huge. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down. He sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And there, sitting down, he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Talking about his return. That since his resurrection, Christ has been seated on his throne, which means he's not panicked about what's happening. Now, I'm not saying that when problems come, we shouldn't pray. We should. I'm not saying that we can't hurt and weep and mourn and have concern for ourselves and for those we love. I'm just saying, when our world is out of control, it is up to us to model for an unbelieving world an unwavering trust in a God who is in control. That when earthquakes and famines and war and disease and violence and threats of war. When those things erupt, Jesus is not worried. He's not panicked. He's not pacing around up in heaven saying, oh my me, what in the world happened? It's a church joke. No, he's seated. When, when you're in control, you sit down. So does Jesus care? Absolutely he cares, but he's calm. He's remaining seated on his throne. And church, listen, our trust has to be seated in the seated one. That's good right there. Jesus said those are just the first of birth pains with more to come. And yes, one one day he will make a footstool of all his enemies, which is the evil that exists in the world. But until then, In our ever-changing world, we must model a trust in our never-changing God. Knowing when the end will come. 
It's not as important as knowing what to look for. So problems will continue. We've got to pay attention, but don't panic. Then Matthew 24, 9 through 13, he continues with this. Then, so all those problems, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. This is an encouraging passage, by the way. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, everyone say end, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Can we just pause and let that sink for a second? Like, this is the words of our Savior. God in the flesh, all-knowing, all-powerful, creator God. He said, you'll be arrested, persecuted, killed, all around the world because you believe in me. Sobering. It's a sobering thought. So what should I look for as the end draws near? Well, problems will continue. Number two, it doesn't get any better. Persecution will climb. Persecution will just climb. It's going to increase. According to Open Doors Ministry, which is an organization that serves persecuted Christians around the world, for three straight years now, it's the first time for three consecutive years as far as I'm aware, the, that... Uh, the persecution of Christians around the world hit an all-time high. For three straight years, persecution of Christians hit an all-time high. In fact, around the world, there are 215 million Christians who experience, who will experience this year, high or extreme persecution for their faith. Not mild persecution like getting made fun of on Facebook. Like high, extreme persecution like go to jail, head chopped off persecution. 215 million Christians. And that number is climbing every year. Church, I, I hope I'm wrong. In fact, I pray that I'm wrong. For the sake of my children and grandchildren, I desperately want to be wrong. But I fully believe, and it is my responsibility as your pastor, not to cause panic, but to prepare us that I fully believe there is coming a day. I don't know when it will be. I don't know how difficult it will become. But there is coming a day when it will no longer be acceptable to be a Christian in this country. What will we do when that happens? Jesus said the whole world, which last I checked includes America, will hate you arrest you, persecute you, and kill you because you follow me. At that time, when that happens, Jesus said, many will turn away from the faith. They'll just give up. They will betray and hate each other. Sin will be rampant everywhere, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Church, pay attention. Not the one who endures partway. Not the one who endures halfway. Not the one who endures most of the way. 
the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's a strong warning from our Lord. I don't want this to happen. I don't wish it upon anyone. But according to Jesus, it will. And if we are alive, we will have to face it in this country. So, because I've been so encouraging, can I encourage us with something? Let's go back to the chair for a second. Did you know that in the New Testament, every depiction of Jesus we get after the resurrection, everyone in the New Testament, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father on his throne. The only place we see Jesus not sitting was when we start seeing depictions of his return. So every picture of Jesus in the New Testament after his resurrection and ascension, everyone he is seated except one. This is huge. There's one place in the entire New Testament where Jesus is seen standing. It happens during the persecution and killing of the very first Christian who gave their life, life for Christ, Stephen. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, was stoned to death by an angry mob for his faith in the risen Jesus. And during his stoning, Acts 7.55 says this, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus, what? Standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is huge, church. When problems come to the planet, Jesus remains seated. But when his people are persecuted, he stands. I don't think he stands to worship them. I think he stands in honor of their worship to him, giving their lives all the way to the end. I believe Jesus stands to be their advocate and to be their strength and their support and their comfort and their guide and their power. I think Jesus may not come to rescue them, but he stands beside them to strengthen them. And as they cross over into heaven, he is standing there to receive them with open arms. And the same is true for us. That's the encouraging part. That listen, we, we may have to face that. But if we do, Jesus stands with you as you walk through it. Knowing when the end will come is not as important as knowing what to look for. So what should I look for as the end draws near? Well, problems are going to continue. Like, all these horrible things happening, they're not going to stop. We're actually told that the world is groaning, waiting for the return of Christ. That since sin entered the world, our world has been decayed. Therefore, in its decay, like our physical bodies die, so the world's dying. And until Christ comes back and makes a new heaven and new earth, that will continue. So all this crap going on, it's not going to end. Okay, persecution is going to climb. It's coming. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how. It's, it's, it's coming. It's happening today, by the way. There, there's people giving their lives today. We just don't know about it. Jesus does because he's standing. Standing.
Number three, preaching will be completed. Preaching will be completed. Matthew 24, 14, the last verse from this main scripture today. And the good news, Jesus said, about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Jesus said that the end won't happen with these problems. It won't happen uh, with persecution. But when the gospel has been preached to every nation, when the whole world has heard, when everyone has experienced and heard the good news that all of us have sinned, that sin separates us from a holy God. Our sin's penalty is death, eternal separation from God, but God. In his mercy, sent his son Jesus, God in the flesh. He came as one of us. He died because of us. He rose victorious so that any one of us could put our faith in him, be forgiven of our sins, given a new life today, and eternal life forever in heaven with, with him. When everyone has heard that, then the end will come. Now you might be thinking, in this day and age, hasn't that happened already? Hasn't everybody already heard the good news? Well, according to Wycliffe Bible Translators, which is the leading Bible translator on the planet, they have found there are 1.5 billion people waiting for a Bible in their language. There's over 1,600 languages that do not have a Bible in written form in their native tongue. Some of those languages do not even have written language. So Wycliffe, Bible translators, is getting their language into writing and then putting the Bible into that language and then teaching people to read their own language. So there's work to be done. When all of that's completed, Jesus said, then the end will come. Which, by the way, this mission to get the gospel to every language goes all the way back to the very first Christians. You know that? In fact, it goes back to, the, to an answer that Jesus gave to the disciples when they again asked him about the end. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's appearing to the disciples on a few, few occasions. He appears to them once again. Acts 1, 6 through 8 says this. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel, restore our kingdom? Or in other words, has the time come for you to come back, take your throne? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, which we should take note of that, by the way. We don't have to find out dates and times. They're not for us to know. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the what? Ends of the earth, every language. That's been the mission from day one. And friends, it's still his mission for us today. I told you at the very beginning for some of us today will be the end of the world as we know it. And here's what I mean. I already gave you the big idea for the message. Here's actually the big idea for the whole series, okay? Here it is. We'll come back to this every week. The end of the world may not happen tomorrow, but the way I live because of it should change today. The end's probably not coming tomorrow. Hate to break it to you. 
but I should change the way I'm living because the end is coming. It's coming. That's what Jesus wanted the disciples to grasp. That, that times and dates, they're not for you to know. Just go. Go be my witnesses about this good news. Stop asking when it will happen and start asking God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to ask, uh, talk to? And I'll keep on doing it until you come back. Look what happened right after this conversation, Acts 1, 9 through 11. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud, which by the way, he would never appear again and he won't until he returns. He was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, probably angels, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? This makes me laugh because I actually think the disciples thought he was coming right back. And the angel like, why, why are you staring? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Or in other words, these angels were reminding the disciples to go. Stop watching the sky and start saving souls. And that day for the disciples, it was the end of the world as they knew it. They would never be the same again. A few days later, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They would go out and preach the good news. And according to Christian history, every disciple gave their life following Jesus. It was the end of the world as they knew it. And it should be for us as well. That when problems continue, my trust in the midst of them should change today. That when persecution climbs, my commitment to Christ should change today because of that. And preaching will be completed. But until that day, why are we standing here watching the sky? Why do you say we go out and win souls? Because when Christ comes back, I hope our church is there hand in hand with loads of people so we can celebrate with our risen Lord. One day, preaching will be completed. But until then, why are we watching the sky? Knowing when the end will come is not as important as knowing what to look for. And the end of the world may not happen tomorrow, but the way I live because of it should change today. So let's go out and live as if the end of the world has changed our lives. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thanks so much that you do not leave us in the dark. You've told us everything we need to know. And I pray, Lord, it would change our lives. Help us to model a trust in you. Help us to be committed to you. Lord, help us to be a part of your mission to reach more people for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you're new here, let's see you in the living room on your way out. Um, if you want to talk to somebody about this good news, putting your faith in Christ, find me in the lobby.
Or you can find somebody uh, at the prayer team at the purple tent in the back. If you've got prayer for anything going on, stop by their purple tent in the back of the auditorium. Uh, and then after that, love to see you back next week talking about Jesus coming back next week. So as long as he doesn't come back between now and then, we'll talk about it next Sunday. Love you guys. Have an awesome week. You're dismissed. <laughs>